What's up, party people? It's Phil Boogie giving you a shout. Um, it's Friday night. It's Friday night, and I just got paid. How about that? Um, rest in peace, uh, Johnny Kemp, who maybe like maybe like uh, twelve years ago I got to see in concert. Um, it's one of them things that you don't even think would be something you would do, but um, it was Johnny Kemp, Colonel Abrams, and like Rose Royce or somebody. I don't remember who the third act was, but tickets were like five bucks not exaggerating i think five dollars um and i had uh a blast love colonel abrams love johnny kemp um had a good time but um sitting in the house scrolling looking through um boxes finding old papers and photographs and things as i'm kind of cleaning up and just kind of doing things around the house it's just bringing up all these memories plus i am in the middle of editing uh, my book, which I finished before Miss Corona showed up um, back when I had momentum um, and was doing some things. Um, but I've gotten to this place where I've started to look at my book again and read a little bit and just kind of taking time with my own stories and thinking about the parts that I did not put in and taking notes and maybe using them later. But um, this one thing um, and it's in the book, but um, I'm just going to share it. It's not exactly about um, being isolated or quarantined, but for some reason it hit me. I was just sitting there minding my own business, editing, and then I just kind of drifted into my own head a little bit, thinking about this one situation. So um, I needed some work. I ended up getting a job through a friend um, um, or getting an interview through a friend um, with uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who at the time was on Moesha, and um, she needed a personal assistant. I was 100% down to to be her personal assistant and just follow her around and, you know, do whatever she asked me to do so I can, you know, pay my rent and buy McDonald's and Burger King. Um, I get the job with Cheryl, and it was really cool. We interviewed on a lot. Um, she was taping an episode of Moesha. Um, I was in her dressing room. And uh, we had a conversation, and then I was uh, working for her a couple of days later. I, w I was at her house. Um, she had an office um, at her house um, in a separate part, you know. And her kids were small um, at the time. They were, they were actually about the age my kids are now, um, really sweet. Um, and um, some of my job was to, to drive them around places and, um, and then also take care of Cheryl. The crazy part was that I did not have a car and I needed a car for this job and I lied to her all up in her face and told her that I had a car. And um, so between like the interview that I had had on, it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night, between that day and the Monday at which I started for her, which was a couple of days later, I had to um, find a car because I could not have the job without a car. So I did that. Insane story, but again, hopefully one day you'll get to read this that part of the story in the book. But I go work for Cheryl, and here's the thing. I knew who Cheryl Lee Ralph was. One of my good friends had been her personal assistant and had said some great things about her. Um, I knew who she was from a kid because I had a television, and I watched It's a Living um, as a child. Um, and, you know, she was like the only black waitress if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about um you're 
you're young and you didn't watch syndicated TV on the weekends. But for me, it was all about It's a Living and Small Wonder um, on the weekends. And she played this sort of like hostess at this upscale piano bar kind of place. Um, um, and, you know, fantastic. So I knew her from that. And I knew her from Dreamgirls. I knew who she was. So Shirley Ralph um, meant something to me. And it was exciting for me to go work for her. And at the time, she's on Moesha, which was a really important show at the time. Because, you know, here's this Brandy, this black teenager who starring in a hit television show that had black writers and black producers and all these, all these other things. So when I was on the set during the interview, I was just blown away by just seeing so many brown faces. I had been on sets before. I've been in LA for a couple of years. I had, you know, I've been around town. I, I've been places, but it was just great to see so many black folks working. Um, you know, I got to see um, Countess Vaughn the first day I interviewed. She was really sweet and um, I had not, I didn't meet Brandy that day. Um, so anyway, I get, I get the offer. Um, I start the job a few days after some shenanigans trying to get a fucking car. Um, I had no money, but I had to find a car. And I did because I am resourceful, if nothing else. I show up to work and I knew that Cheryl was dramatic. I knew, I knew that much. Um, I heard that from people who had interactions with her, um, that, she was a diva and she referred to herself as a diva when we spoke the first time and um, she has um, a charity called Divas Simply Singing um, which raises money uh, for AIDS charities and um, so she owns that and I kind of had always kind of perceived it as more of a Broadway thing big personality big voice whatever because she is she is talented and beautiful but what I also learned quickly working for her, that it was um, like classic Hollywood diva. Like, I mean, I'd seen this stuff, like I've seen all about Eve and I'd seen, you know, the movies about sort of, you know, Hollywood um, star, stars and sort of, you know, I, I like classic films. And, um, but I didn't know people... And I, I had been in L.A. for years, and I had been around people who were famous before. But I hadn't seen the the diva thing before. So when I first got exposed to it, it was, it was cute. It was like, oh, my God, like, you know, there's such a big personality, and I was just going to roll with it. Like, it was just like, who cares, right? Like, you know. She can be herself. I can be myself, right? So she's real big personality, full voice, full body, owns her space. And, you know, and I fuck with it. So it was cool. Um, but what you quickly learn uh, when you work with someone who is a self-proclaimed diva and a proclaimed diva, because, you know, um, the gays love her um, and put her on that pedestal. Um, there's this really blurry line between what's real and what isn't. And I had to learn quickly to tread lightly, right? Because I needed to keep my check. Um, and I also wanted to do a good job for her. And we got along 
and her kids liked me enough and I liked her kids and her husband was great, very, very kind. Um, and her housekeeper was, was amazing, beautiful woman, um, who kind of took me in and let me tell you this story. So the housekeeper one day saw me sitting and I swear this is getting to a point. I, I, I swear, I think I had a point the other night when it, when it came to me, but that was a couple of days ago. I should have record, recorded right when I was thinking, but I was tired and plus I was watching Ozark. Um, okay. The housekeeper sat me down cause she could see, I mean, I was in my mid to late twenties at the time. Um, so she probably saw me as like a kid and she she sat me down one day because she can tell that I was overwhelmed by the bigness of it all. And she just said, listen to me. Do your list of things that need to happen. Smile and nod and go home. Don't stay here all night. Don't worry. You're not doing anything wrong. You're okay. And she slid a bowl of soup over to me and I ate the soup and it was something about that that let me know that she too was dealing with the bigness of you know working for a diva who she did seem to love um, but understood that it probably took a little bit to process um, the huge personality she had a gaggle a gaggle of gays um, that were surrounded her, people who worked for her, people who were their friends and people who were her friends, um, who just kind of kind of kept her protected and kept her covered and kept her uplifted. And um, one could say that that particular gaggle of gays were kind of like what you see in TV and movies like this or a stereotypical group kind of sassy and quick-witted and messy and sizing people up. So when I showed up, um, I I was me. You know, I wasn't in the closet. I was me. I was out. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't have a gaggle. I didn't have a, I didn't have a gaggle of gays crew and I didn't have that kind of like energy. So when I walked in the first day and there were like two or three of the gaggle looked me up and down kind of like you know bitch who are you and you know I knew what the look was but I really I wasn't trying to be friends with them I didn't work for them I just like what's up and I went on into where I was supposed to be which really pisses people off when you're supposed to like kiss their ring but I'm just kind of like I don't know you and I don't know why your eyebrows look like that I'm going into my office so um I never got in really good with the gaggle which probably did not help my position, um, my positioning, um, at the gig. Um, but Cheryl and I had a, had a decent relationship and I was young enough to where I was still being asked to do things, um, that I knew I didn't feel like doing or felt like above my, what I should be doing, or I wasn't getting paid enough for it, but I would do it because I was young. I needed the money and it was a good opportunity. I got to be on the set. I got to meet people and I just kind of was, you know, you pay a price. You got to earn your, you got to earn your dues. Um, and then one time my paycheck was late and Cheryl was out of town. The accountant explained to me she forgot to sign the check. Um, and it was a mistake and then, you know, be handled when she got back. Fine. So she got back. I got my money. 
I didn't make a big stink of it. She apologized. Cool. People, people make mistakes. I make them every day. I probably make 10 today. And then that shit happened again. And I was like, and here's the thing. When you're making $40 a month, you need that fucking $40 exactly when it's due. Like, it's not like you have an extra 20 laying around. Like when you make $40 a fucking month, you need it when it's due. Not a day late. You you need that shit. Like, you know, so when I don't get paid that Friday, that weekend is t- terrible. I'm already probably late on my gas, electric phone. I'm late on all the things. Rent. I needed my money. So the second time it happened, and this story is not about Shirley Ralph not paying me. She didn't pay me, but we're we're getting to a point. Um so the next time it happened, um, we had a conversation and I asserted myself and said, I need that to not happen again. And she kind of smiled at me like, nigga, please. But she, she, but she said, okay, I hear you and that will not happen again. So we went about the business of working. Um, and one day I'm at work and Cheryl calls me. She says, come to the house. She would call me from her house. I worked in an office over top of the garage and she called me to her house and um, she asked me to come upstairs and she was tripping out because she had to go to a wedding. I'm almost positive it was Terry McMillan's wedding. It was Terry McMillan's wedding. Um, she had to go to the wedding and shout out to Terry McMillan. Um, love her work. And she needed to figure out what to wear. She asked me to sit down. So I don't sit on people's beds, so I didn't presume that's where I was to sit. There were clothes every place, so I just kind of sat Indian style, kind of on the floor. And you know those movies where, like, best friends go to the a boutique and they try on clothes and one friend sits there and there's, like, a montage and the person keeps trying on things and then throwing it in the air and the friend's re- being really bitchy, like, going, no, that shit's ugly or thumbs up, but the person who who's trying to close on doesn't like the things that the friend likes. And then finally, like two minutes later, they find the perfect outfit. Like it was one of those montage scenes. And except for I wasn't, you have to know my personality, I guess, for this story to make full sense. I am not animated most of the time in any way. So like she, can you imagine like, She's hopping out of the closet or wherever she's coming from the bathroom. And she's basically like, ta-da. Like, it's like a ta-da. She's giving me a ta-da. And I'm just looking. And I'm like, I'm looking at the outfit. Okay, there's there's so many levels. This is going to be an hour. Oh, my God. In my brain, I'm thinking, I make 40 fucking dollars a month. And... I get that you're trying to look nice, paparazzi, and the press is going to be at this thing. Terry McMillan was hot, was hot at the time, you know, in terms of mainstream press and all. And she was hot, so you, you're trying to you're trying to be seen. Who's going to be at the wedding? I get it. I make forty dollars. Now I'm not complaining about the forty dollars because I signed up for the forty dollars, but I make forty dollars. And I'm sitting there on her floor, watching her hop in and out of designer clothes with an attitude of struggle, like she's struggling through this thing. And I had to do a lot of work to get where she was to understand that this was important to her, that she wanted to look good. 
and I, I made myself get there because I can understand that she ain't gotta she ain't gotta be in a raggedy dress because I make forty dollars. So okay, I can get there. So I'm giving feedback. That's nice. Oh, I don't know. Okay, should I do these shoes? Sure. I think that the shoe is red. The blouse is red. Great. I think maybe maybe that that works. Uh, yeah. But I but we kept going even when I approved things. And I didn't understand what the dance was for a while. And then I realized halfway through that I wasn't serving good gay. Right. Like I wasn't giving, you know, like, bitch or did I do that right? I I, I don't know. I don't even know. I tried it. I'm trying to I'm trying to work on that. Not for everyday life, but just like when I do impressions, like when I'm performing. I wasn't I wasn't giving it like it wasn't. You know, you've seen the movies where the guy whose job it is to do that does it. I was not doing it. And here's the thing. When we started looking at clothes, I was still on the clock. But we were only halfway through and I and I was now off the clock and I knew I wasn't going to get no overtime. So I said to myself, Phil, if you wants to go home. You know, give a performance. This is this is L.A. You know, dig deep. So I dug from the bottom of my toes and it was like work. Yes. Yeah, I, I did it. I did it. I did that shit that I don't even really do. I did it. The minute I started doing that, she lit up and we found an outfit and I could go home. Right. So that happened a few times and I just learned to turn it on and off when I had to turn it on and off. She wasn't demanding it, but I learned that that got me in and out the door in a different way, in and out of situations in a different way. Um, but what underneath that, just kind of living my own life outside of Cheryl's house, was me still trying to figure out, like, you know, why did I have to even be that anywhere? Because I identified as gay. It wasn't just Cheryl, it was other places. Um, and as a black person, you're often expected to behave a certain way because you're black. Um, and I was processing um, all of this on top of figuring out, you know, my feelings around, you know, having worked my ass off all through school. And this is what I'm doing to earn a living. Not that the job was bad, but just having to not be myself um, to take home. $40 a month. I'm going to keep saying $40 a month because that's what the fuck it was. It was essentially that. Fast forward. I decided to be my authentic self. And I did less of the performance. Uh, I began to be really clear about when I was not happy or when um, expectations were not met. Or I would be confrontational when things um, were a problem for me. And Cheryl ain't no punk, so she was, you know, she would she would sit there and look at me and then tell me what it was. This is what I want you to do, so do it. And then, you know, we all make decisions, right? And we kind of got into this place where we were able to figure out how to get the work done while also not necessarily leaning into each other personally. Like, we weren't, we weren't fully um, connecting. And... I began to think, you know, what is this for? Should I be here? Um, is there something else 
um, I can be doing. And I just checked out. I was able to get the work done, um, but it wasn't the same way. I can look at myself now because it's, it's history. You know, at a certain point, I did check out. The work wasn't complete because um, I thought some of it was bullshit and some of it wasn't bullshit. But I was just I was just unhappy. Right. I was unhappy uh, with the work. I was unhappy with the situation. I was unhappy with myself for having um, kind of shifted gears and been less authentic just to kind of get through the day. Um, and I was young and figuring shit out and just, it was hard. It was hard. And, and you're in LA where basically you're just kind of taught, suck that shit up because, you know, fame costs. <laughs> I know that was said in New York, but fame costs. Um, so, so deal with that shit. So I was able to let most of it ride, but I was broke. I was working and I was broke. Right which is the worst combination. And then to be surrounded, not just by Cheryl, because she's one person, but to be surrounded by wealth, right? Um, it's really hard. It fucks with you, right? To be that poor, which is, I spent a lot of time being poor as hell, surrounded by famous people, by people who were rich, um, working for them, being friends with them. And it's really such an odd situation to be in um, when you're friends with millionaires or work for millionaires and you are a $50 heir, you know. So things were fine. We found our lane. And then one day um, um, I went to go get my check and it wasn't there. And I was pissed. I was pissed. I was so pissed so I go to her accountant and I'm just like this can never happen again um and then he's like I'm sorry I'm sorry and then I said you know what I've already said this shouldn't happen again I'm done he's like well we can get you your money and you know as soon as she gets back in town she was out of town she had been traveling I said no you know when payday is she has an accountant I'm done just finished so um, I don't know if he thought I was joking or what, but Monday morning comes and normally our routine in the morning was that I would, um, get up early, go to her house, go sit in the office. And then I would, um, um, call in. And at that point, um, Cheryl would likely be in her room, um, at, in the house, in the big house. <laughs> I was in the quarters. She was in the big house. And she would ask me how I was doing and I would tell her and then she would tell me what she wanted me to, to do for the day. Then I would hang up and do those things. Maybe I would see her before she left um, to go to the set. She would come by to where I worked or maybe I wouldn't. I would just see the car pull off. It didn't, you know, whatever. But I would have my orders. You know, I'd go about the day and, and, and then um, sometimes go home without having seen her. So that morning... Um, I wake up when I feel like it because I'm no longer working for her. I've decided. But I call her because I still need my money. So I call her. And I won't go into all the details, even though I want to right now. But I got to say something for the book, y'all. So I call her. And she begins to tell me um, what she needs me to do 
for the day. And I interrupt politely because, you know, I'm irritated, but Cheryl is my elder. She is my boss. Um, she is a black woman. Um, I respect her and her family. So I'm not I'm not going to go in. I'm just I'm just not going to be there. So I say, excuse me. And she's like, yes. You know, and I said, well, I'm not actually in the office. I'm not coming in anymore um, because I asked you before to please pay me on time. I don't make a lot of money. I need it when it's due. And it's hard for me when I don't get it. And I know it may not seem like a lot to you because you work on a TV show uh, weekly. I'm sure you make decent money. Um, I need it. I, I need my money when I need it. And I can put up with a lot of things. But I asked you for this one thing and I can't. I can't do it. So then um, I hear her moving about. And then. You know, she apologized because she's polite. It was real dramatic. Um, I'm not going to pretend to do a Shirley Ralph um, impersonation, but it was real, you know, you know, neck up, chin up, you know, you know, she's just, she's poised, honey. And um, did that work? The honey, I tried to throw in a little bit of the gaggle of gays there. Um, she's poised. She apologized. She says she would have my check for me um, um, by the end of the day. And she asked me, um, you know, um, if I would still come in that day, you know, and just kind of water under the bridge. And I said, no. I said, politely, I told you that I can't do that again. So I'm sorry. So at this point, I know she's mad because she kind of lost a little bit of the it wasn't the poise was lost, but the tone shifted a little bit, kind of like, excuse me. So in short, um, what what Shirley Ralph um, proceeded to tell me was, um, I think I know what the problem is. Um, she said, I graduated from Rutgers when I was 19 years old. I'm the youngest graduate of Rutgers University or some, something like that. I'm the youngest graduate with the youngest person to graduate. And, you know, but I always wanted to be an actress. That is what I, I knew to, I wanted to be. Uh, so I pr uh, pursued my goals and I became an actress. You, you know, referring to me, she said, you, you're a writer, but you work for me. Answering my phones and running errands, so you're not happy. So maybe you ought to go somewhere and write the same way I had a goal and a dream and I was able to make it come true by going and becoming an actress. Now, up until that point, I was up like, up until that point, I was fine. Like, I was mad about the check. I didn't know how the fuck I was going to pay rent, quitting this job, and all of that. But I wasn't necessarily mad with her, if that makes any sense. I just felt like I wasn't a priority. 
Like, I didn't think it was a personal attack. I just wasn't a priority, right? But when she said, I act because I pursue my dreams, and the reason why you're quitting and miserable and you can't manage not getting paid on time and not dealing with all kind of shit, you you figured it out because I want to... I want to write and I work for you. That's my problem. So that set me off. And because I am not one to, I mean, you you probably cannot tell this from the podcast because I I cuss a lot. But I am not one to be yelling and cussing at. That's not my, that's not my thing. And I'm not quite as sort of chin up and poised as a Shirley, a Ralph. But um, I had some things to say. So she says that, and I take a breath, and this was really rude. I don't know if I should say this. I'm not going to say this. I'll leave this part in the book. This will feel messier in the podcast than it will in the book because there's context. But just to, let's say that um, I let I let Miss Ralph have it. Um, um, okay, I'm just going to say what I said. So I said, yes, you know, I do want to write and I'm still young. I just moved to L.A. and I'm I'm pursuing my dreams. I said, and I do remember, you know, I know you as an actress. I mean, you know, you you have been you have been successful. But I mean, I think you can understand. I said, I think you can understand the position I'm in trying to get to another level because, I mean, I don't think I had seen you since it's a living. It's a living. Um, and I was like nine or 10 until you got on Moesha. So I think you can understand sort of how hard it is to get a job. So if there's anybody listening to this who knows Shirley Ralph personally, if there's anybody listening who has a, a good sense of her personality, you know, mother was not, was not, was not hear from me saying, where you been since It's a Living? Now, I was being a bitch because I know she's worked since It's a Living. I think she did Mighty Quinn, you know, and some other things. I know she's worked. But I felt like she was fucking trying to hurt my feelings. And I knew that actors um, were sensitive about not booking. So I decided to try to hurt her feelings. And I don't know that I hurt her feelings, but I pissed her off. And um, she was like, who are you talking to? And all that kind of stuff. And I said nothing else. Like, I was done with the conversation. I just said, will my check be ready? So then she calmed down. She apologized. Um, and then she said, I'll have Paul get the check. Um, will you come in for two weeks? And I said, certainly. So, you know, I talked all that shit. You know, you ain't worked since it's a living and all that kind of. We, 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 we talked. We talked it out, both of us. And I agreed to come back and work for her, not because of the money, but because I really didn't have a beef with Cheryl other than respect me. Just respect. Just respect me. I respect, I respect you. And I've made mistakes while I was her employee and I didn't always do the right thing and it was hard and I was, I was uncertain about 
if I fit in, if, you know, if, if I made sense, I didn't like having to do the sort of certain kind of gay performance. I didn't, didn't always enjoy what I was being asked to do. Um, I wasted a lot of time staring into space, just wondering if this, if this was the right thing. I wasn't perfect, right? But I, I, re- I respected her. Um, and I just felt like not paying me was disrespectful. And I also thought the comment about, here's why you're a failure, uh, was disrespectful. So we talked it out. I agreed to come. And let me tell you something. Now, her gaggle had looked me up and down before. But when I showed up to that house, after reading Miss Ralph down, um, the way them hoes was looking at me was like, I thought I was going to have to fight four people walking through the house, through the kitchen, up to the office. Like, I mean, nobody spoke. Nobody, nobody spoke. But whatever she told them, um, they wanted to fuck me up, right? So I just kept pushing. And as I passed by, she said, hello, Phil. You know, and I nodded, hello, Cheryl. And I kept laughing inside and I kept pushing. You know, I laughed inside and I kept pushing to the office. But them queens stared me down, honey. They didn't say shit to me. And um, I went on. I went to work. um, And it was awkward um, being in her house at that point. Um, And when she left and the queens left, I went to talk to the housekeeper. And um, she, she told me about her own dreams, that she had wanted to go back to school and... We talked about how to do that, and she told me that she was um, proud of me. Um, She's a very sweet woman. And I went about my business for um, the next couple of days, and then on that Friday, um, Cheryl calls me and says, hey, can you pick up a package um, from my accountant? And I said, sure. And because um, Denise and Phil Branch didn't raise no fool, I packed up my things. Um, I didn't have many. I had been kind of taking things out of the office. And and it's also why, for the most part, this job um, is also why I I don't really keep things in offices because it's not my it's not mine. Unless it's my office. I don't I don't I don't decorate too much. I don't. It's not mine. It's not mine. You know, so I knew when she said, go pick up this thing. I knew what was up because um, I knew her and I knew it was uncomfortable because it was uncomfortable for me. So I take my little whatever I had because I didn't want to have to go back. And um, I put it in my book bag and I left. I went to the office and I saw the accountant who was looking at me all sideways and, and nervous. And he said, this is your this is your final check. Um, I know you're supposed to do another week, but um we're going to end it here. I'm so sorry. He was the sweetest man. I won't go into what he said. They may still have a relationship. I don't know. I'm just going to leave it be. He was a nice man. He was nice to me. And I said, okay. I said, I, I knew that this was it. So I'm not surprised. Have a nice life, essentially. So um, I get to my car and I open the envelope. And I'm going to. Um, say that I knew what was in the envelope too again because Denise and Phil Branson raised no fool it should have been two weeks if not more 
pay. You asked me to come back for two weeks. But of course, it was one week's pay. Um, and it felt like one little, that last kick. And um, so I went home and I wrote this letter uh, to her that I faxed to her. I don't know. I think I had a copy of it somewhere in my basement still. I, I put it in a box, a copy of it, but I just told her how unprofessional and blah, blah, blah. I was angry, 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 angry with her. And for years, I told this story to my to my close um, friend groups. They knew what was going on then, and I told them. And the way I tell the story is like, I work for Shirley Ralph, blah, blah, blah. And then I, and I tell the story about the moment where I, we read each other and I kind of stand up for myself when she didn't pay me that last time. And it's a hoot. People laugh. They, you know, I can't believe you said it's a living and, you know, you're a mess. And, and it's always been about Cheryl, right? How she treated me and how I came for her and laugh. And then, you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, that job and how she treated me and our interaction has stayed with me. You know, I'm a visualizer. I have visualized winning um, a Golden Globe, an Oscar, an Emmy, and all these things. And there were years shortly after I first left Cheryl that I would imagine myself looking into the audience saying, um, and for all of you working for people, you know, as assistants and trying to get your, your, your gig, you know, and I'm standing there holding my Oscar. You're trying to get your, your first movie and your first TV show. Hang in there, you know, and to all of you sitting here who are paying these people, be respectful, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then looking to the camera and saying, and this is for you, Shirley Ralph, who's probably watching at home. Just some kind of bitchy shit like that, right? I would like visualize that, right? And as I got older, I started to see it a little bit differently. It's not about making $40. It's not about her being a diva. It's not about her not paying me a couple of times um, um, or what she said to me. Um, the real story is I was having a hard time. I was young. I was trying to to get a leg up in the entertainment industry that um, is really hard to break into, that I was willing to sacrifice um, myself um, in order to gain position. Um, you know, I knew right away that Cheryl and I were not a fit, not because something was wrong with her, but because the job was not a fit for me. I am not someone who should be running errands for somebody. That is not who I am. And I knew that before I took it. Right. So it's no wonder that we slowly progressed to where we were. Right. Um, it wasn't for me in the first place. And, you know, what Cheryl said to me, I want to be an actress, so I act. You want to be a writer and you work for me. She went wrong. Now, it was a fucked up thing to say to a young black man who was trying to get his foot in the door and doing the best that he fucking can. But at its core, just like I was being a truth teller to her, she was being a truth teller to me when I... I can see the connections now to how that helped me grow because after she said that shit to me, I went and decided um, to apply for film school. Um, I did my application um, and um, 
we started to kind of, I started to kind of think about sort of long term, you know, no, because I can't be here. And I had already been looking at the application and I had already um, just thought that this is something I wanted to really pursue. But having that interaction with her just kind of launched me like I have to go. Um, and I, I got into American Film Institute was the only um, film school I applied to. I got in. Um, and then that next um, year, um, I was in film school doing exactly, exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, but I was mad at her because listening to her tell me that um, deep down, I knew it was true. It was true. Um, you know, what I know now as somebody in my 40s is that Cheryl was working a really hard job. She had side hustles doing, you know, guest starring roles on shows and appearances. And she had two small children that she was caring for and a husband who traveled a lot for his business. She was working her ass off. I was not a priority for her. Now, she could have paid me on time. But I was not a priority. Things slipped my mind all the time. I fell asleep recently during a time when I should have been leading a Zoom session. Um, you know, I needed that sleep. I didn't intend to skip the Zoom session. And maybe the people who were on the other end might feel as though they were not a priority. And they would be correct. Because the priority at that time was my body and my sleep. Um, and it is not personal. And... And getting to what the real story is, is that I made a lot of choices. I put myself in that job. I didn't have a car. I lied and said I had one um, and then got one for a job that I didn't really want, but I needed. Then I got the job and I had to be somebody who I didn't want to be, but I did it. And it, and it, and it, and it was hard for me and it made life uncomfortable. And then I didn't get paid all the time. And uh, when I was supposed to, which was like a re-injury on top of everything else. And then when I finally kind of got it to me that this had to end, it was it was because of the money. When I was that age, I didn't have this. I didn't have insight. It was I'm worth more than this. I knew that much, but I was mad. I was looking at her. Um. But now, kind of looking back at myself, um, I can see um, that all of that was a gift um, because it pushed me to the next to the next space. And and I still love telling the story. But when I tell it now, um, I don't just talk about what Cheryl did. I talk about what I did um, to get myself um, in that space, um, into that position, because I think it's important to add that part, uh, to the conversation. Um, we made an agreement. Cheryl wanted something. And I said that I could be that something. And I, I, I was never going to be that thing that she needed, uh, for that job. I made a choice. It was a bad choice. And I paid a price for that bad choice. And luckily it didn't completely ruin me or anything like that. It just, it pushed me to another place. Um, but I think choices are so important. So um, the other day I was reading that story and um, editing um, um, that part of the book. And I just began to think about um, 
you know, true stories. You know, what what is the true story? And for me, um, it's about this particular story, at least, is about being honest with yourself um, about how you ended up in a place. No one dragged me to her house. No one dragged me to sit in her room to pick out clothes for Tara McMillan's wedding. No one no one dragged me to do any of it. And I'm not saying that she isn't without her own personal responsibility, but I can't control. I can't control that. So it's still a fun story. Um, you know, who gets to sit on Shirley Rouse's floor and watch her um, change into outfits like you're in some kind of movie montage, it, you know. Uh, we have fun, even even in its discomfort. Um, it's kind of a cool thing to kind of look back and have had that um, experience. But in terms of what the story is, the story was about uh, me um, trying to figure out how to be the person who I wanted to be. And she wasn't the first person in L.A. Um, that I allowed to um, um, to let change me. Um, um, that I, she also wasn't the responsible for me doing the changing. I made a, it was a deal. I was making a deal. And, um, I think when I decided to leave Los Angeles, um, what I knew by the time I left was that, um, I was tired of, of that much, um, um, of the deal of in order to be in the city, I had to become something else that I didn't want to be. And that's not for everybody, but I needed to I needed to kind of find Phil. And I think I know him a little bit better now, enough to know that um, Cheryl was out of order. But so was I. And um, she was also doing the best that she could, I think, as am I, even when I'm fucking up. Um, and that's just what it is. That's just life. Um, so maybe one day um, we'll get to cross paths again. She won't remember who the hell I am. I'm sure I meant much less to her in terms of a pivot point in life <laughs> um, than she was for me. She meant something to me um, in the sense that um, I made a turn because she made me so goddamn mad uh, with that. You work for me basically because you're a failure that I had to. I didn't know what to do with that. Um, but yeah memories all right y'all um get some rest stay safe wash your hands love each other and i'll talk to you later peace